Good morning, everyone. I want to thank you for your incredible generosity towards me and Linda. I can't begin to tell you uh, how much I love you, truly love you and care for you, uh, and how blessed I am that the Lord has brought me here and, and given me the chance, really, uh, to be your teacher. Um, it's just been a most incredible experience in my life, and, and you never fail to show me your love uh, and your respect, uh, and so I want to wish you the most profound and blessed Christmas ever. Uh, wherever you are, as you travel, wherever you are, uh, I, want, I want to pray that God blesses you and lifts you up and gives you peace and gives you an opportunity to share the gospel because many of you will be seated at tables with relatives and friends who are not Christians. And so you're going to have a chance. You're going to have a chance uh, at some point during Christmas to speak about the Lord. Uh, and so uh, I hope you do. You can pull up John 14, verse 6 as a good starting point. And, and I believe that that's, that really says, says it all. But be ready and do it in the spirit of love. Uh, and as Peter said, be prepared to show the world the reason for the hope that you have in your heart. Uh, and that's really what Christmas is all about. Um, and so uh, thank you again, and uh, I hope you're all blessed and get back here together that first week in January when we restart. We're gonna, we are going to begin today our study of the rapture. And we're going to do this because it comes up first, really, uh, the, the expression comes up first in Daniel, when Daniel will begin to speak about the Antichrist. Uh, and so many of you have, have heard reports about the Antichrist, um, and we're going to really drill down through the Bible and show you what the Bible says. One of the books that, that uh, I have read over my lifetime uh, that I believe is well done, theologically solid, uh, is the, the book Left Behind. Uh, and how many of you have had the chance to read that book? Yeah, see, that's great. And how many of you have re read the entire series? Yeah, that's, that's just great. Tim LaHaye. Uh, and that's one of those things that, uh, that was very well done. I think at the end, the last two or three books probably were a little overextended. But, you know, money is a tough narcotic, you know? That's hard even to people that are spiritual. Um, but terrific, terrifically well done. And I'll just give you an anecdote about uh, Left Behind. Uh, years ago, uh, right after that book first came up, I was trying uh, a very complicated case for General Motors, uh, a case that would go on for about 16 weeks. And General Motors would turn their chief uh, tax counsel, who would be in the courtroom every day, and finally, I would look around from time to time, and I would see him reading a book, and he was a Roman Catholic. Finally, I went up to him. I said, you know, Fred, excuse me. I see you reading a lot. What are you reading? This is during the middle of the trial. I can't put this book down. This is a Roman Catholic. What is it? Left behind. Left behind. He was so moved by that book that this guy became eventually an evangelical Christian. All right? So you see the impact of, of books like this that can make that impact in the world. Uh, and because he recommended the book, I, I wound up reading it and was obviously very impressed about it. So I think you need to understand uh, the rapture 
because here's what you need to know. The Antichrist cannot appear in this world until the rapture takes place. It's when the rapture takes place and the Holy Spirit and the church is taken out of this world that that then means that the restrainer of evil, and that's what the Bible calls it, restrainer of evil is removed. And when the restrainer of evil is removed, that allows Satan to rise with the Antichrist. And we will go through very, very dark times. It will be awful. Uh, And uh, those people that will be left behind uh, are going to suffer greatly. But you won't be there. Okay? I want to assure you of this. You are going to, the people who have accepted Jesus Christ, if it came today, are all going to be sucked out of the world, going to be removed out of this world in the most glorious way. Um, and, and I want to correct some improper theology. As I've gone through this, I've learned that there are certain people that teach, well, if you're not a real good Christian, you know, if you're a bit of a carnal Christian, you're going to be left. God's going to punish you. You're going to be left. I mean, this is what people teach. Well, that's absolutely false, because what do we get into then? We get into works. You understand? And that Satan would like nothing better than to get you back into the theology of works. Got to work your way, work your way to heaven. No, you've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and God himself. The Holy Spirit has been poured over you. Now you're a Christian. Now we get into day two, which is what do you do with the rest of your life? Do you carry the cross? Do you walk with Jesus? Do you continue to sanctify? But you're saved. When, when uh, Christ returns on that day and takes the entire church up, we are all going to go. Not only are we going to go, uh, at that point, as we are brought out of this world instantaneously, uh, and you know if you've read the book, it gives you an incredible past picture of airplanes, cap, you know, captains. I can just see if Norm were still flying. Norm would be pulled out of the pilot seat, all right? And Ed, no, this is, this is when the rapture comes. Norm and Ed, airplane pilots, flying their planes, and these guys are devout Christians. At the rapture, those planes are pilotless. You got that? I'm not making it up. And there'll be uh, cars without drivers. The, the world is going to be impacted in the most incredible way, sucked out instantaneously out of where they are. And I'm going to give you the verses that we'll talk about this, and I want you to understand this. And I want you to understand that there's a differentiation between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is important because there will be a second coming of Jesus Christ. And the way you're going to remember it is this. At the rapture, Jesus comes for his saints. You got that? He comes for his saints. But seven years later, at the second coming, he comes with his saints. We will be with him as the great army of God comes back and Jesus will declare judgment over this earth and hundreds of millions of evildoers will be destroyed uh, and the Antichrist will be destroyed. And you're going to see that and that will begin the beginning of the millennial age uh, as the new Jerusalem is set forth in this world. But that's the differentiation. Now, here's the thing. As you begin to study this, I want to prepare you for the fact that certain denominations do not believe it. I was astounded as I studied this to find out that uh, the Roman Catholic Church does not believe 
in the doctrine of the rapture. I was shocked. I was also surprised that there were several Lutheran denominations, including, most surprisingly, the evangelical Lutheran church that does not accept uh, this doctrine. And so we respect them. We respect them uh, as, you, as we respect all our, our brothers and sisters uh, in God, but we want to be able to be knowledgeable about what the Bible says. Because here's the deal. At the end of the day, anything that I give you my opinion about is irrelevant. But when I back it up with Bible verses, and the Bible verses speak to your heart through the Holy Spirit, you can take it to the bank. And I'm going to promise you that the things that I'm going to speak about today are those kinds of things. Um, and so as you study Daniel, we were in Daniel chapter 7. I want to give you a picture, if you would. Turn to Daniel chapter 7. And we'll begin with verse 23. As you understand uh, uh, what, what his dream was about and the horns were about. He gave me, verse 23, he gave me this explanation. He's talking about the angel. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. We talked about who those ten kingdoms would be. After them, another king will arise, and that is the Antichrist. Another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times, and the laws. Now, what does that mean? It means that, that the Antichrist, when he rises and conquers these other kingdoms, will, as he rises up, will attempt to, to establish new laws. He will attempt to remove all of the Judeo-Christian aspects in the world in terms of even the calendar will be changed. Uh, because, it, you know, all of those holidays that are in the calendar that relate to Jesus Christ are going to be removed, uh, and, and it's an extraordinary period of time. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and a half a time. Now, in biblical mathematics, what he just said, time, times, and a half a time, is three and a half years. That's what that con concludes to. So what does that mean? It means that with it, as the rapture, as the tribulation period begins, it's going to be a seven-year period of time, and nothing really that bad is going to start for the first three and a half years. The Antichrist is going to rise. He's, going to, he's coming in right after the rapture, so you can imagine the world is in pandemonium. By the way, as I've studied this and prayed about it, one of the things that I've, I've concluded to is that not only are those alive going to be sucked out of the world and given glorified bodies, but the Bible tells us, and you'll read this, that just before that happens, that the graves will give up their dead. All right? Now, here's the important part. I want you to think about this. Now you're going to have all these people missing from their jobs, missing from planes, missing from cars, missing from the world. And now the graves themselves, I believe, are going to be opened up. All right, God doesn't have to do it that way, but can you imagine the testimony of millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of graves and mausoleums all over the world being opened up and nothing left but coffins with no corpses? Because all of those graves, wherever Christians have died, those bodies will come out and will become glorified bodies as they are attached to those people, those saints whose spirits are now with God. 
All right, so if you ask me, what's the difference between the glorified body that you will get on that day and the body that you get when you pass on before that to the Lord? I can't give you a precise explanation. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I can use the example of the glorified body of Jesus Christ, which he had as he was resurrected. It meant that it looked like flesh. It felt like flesh. The nail holes from the crucifixion were evident. You could put your fingers in the holes, yet that, that resurrected, glorified body was able to disappear and go all over the world. It was able to walk through walls. That's the glorified body. That's what God intends for you to have. How about an amen? amen. Man, if you're not feeling good today, I'm going to give up. All right? I, I mean, you have great things ahead of you. This is the Christmas message. You understand? This is the Christmas message. Yes, we honor the baby in the manger, but look what the baby does. Look at this, how our lives will be changed in the most profound way. And so you see, you see this incredible action happening. We're now, we're raptured out, and we're going to talk about all these things. I'm going to give you the verse. I intend to speak all day about this today, and I intend to come back after the new year and do it again. I have more things to tell you. It's a deep study. You need to know it, uh, but I want to make sure you understand. And so clearly, there is a differentiation. There is the rapture when Jesus comes back for his saints, and when he comes back for his saints, he will not, his feet will not touch this earth. He will come back and he will hover over the earth and he, we will be sucked out up into the air to him, all right, when he comes back in the second coming, then his feet will come to this earth. He will come to Mount Zion in Jerusalem as there will be hundreds of millions of evildoers gathering there to attempt to destroy Israel. And it tells us as we study the scripture, he will come back on Mount Zion. His feet will plant on Mount Zion, on, Mount, on the Mount of Olives, excuse me. And when he comes on the Mount of Olives and plants his feet, there will be an earthquake and the Mount of Olives will be divided in half. Can you imagine? And it says that he will speak a word. He will speak a word, and there will be us behind him as all of us are gathered together. And when he speaks that word, all of the evildoers will be slain. Hundreds of millions of evildoers, soldiers, and all kinds of powerful vehicles will be destroyed. What a day that will be. Uh, and so, you know, this is what God has promised us. Uh, and so I want to make sure that I I do an honor, and I, and, I, and I teach you this correctly. And so if you continue with Daniel 7, uh, continue in that, and we talk there, he says, after, after them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. Verse 25, he will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, time and a half, time, times, and a time and a half. That's three and a half years. It means that pretty much at the midpoint of the tribulation period, for the last three and a half years, uh, the saints, those who remain, those who have come to faith, and there will be people who will, who will not have committed to God at the time of the rapture, who will be left, but during that period of time, the Holy Spirit will still be able to inspire people individually, not collectively as the church, but individually to come to Christ. And there will be many, many people that will come to Christ. But it will be a dark period. 
And it will be dark because the Antichrist is going to rule over the whole world. Can you imagine that this could happen? That he will suck in uh, all these nations who will look at him because he will step up. He will look like a person who's going to bring, uh, bring the world out of confusion as the rapture has basically decimated, decimated the world. All right? Just think about all the, all the positions that Christians hold in hospitals uh, and in courts, uh, in business, Gone. Gone. You can imagine what it is like. And of course, they'll be spinning tales about what it is. They'll never admit that it was the work of God. All right. They'll never admit it. They may be talking about aliens and all kinds of nonsense. Uh, but he will step up into this void. And about halfway into this period of the seven years, the scripture tells us that, he, that the temple will be rebuilt. How about that? The temple will be rebuilt. Now, this is an extraordinary event in and of itself, because you know that that temple mount is now basically occupied by three religions. It's not occupied by the Jews. They're sharing it uh, with uh, two other religions. And so now, somehow, that temple will be rebuilt, uh, and that temple, he will walk into that temple, that three-and-a-half-year period, and he will have a statue erected of himself, and he will demand that everyone in the world will obey him and worship him as God. How about that? All right? And here's the thing. If you do not bow and worship him during this period of time, you, you will be killed. And the other point of this is understanding that during those dark times, that he will give you a mark that you must have in order to conduct business. You will not be able to go to a bank. You will not be able to buy provisions. You will not be able to do anything that you normally do in order to have a life, unless you have this mark. The Bible calls the mark 666. Uh, all I know is you have to have that mark in order to conduct business. And here's what, the, what I can tell you, that the Bible tells us that if you take that mark, you will not be able to be saved. And, and go to heaven. You will not be able to be saved. So you will have this dire choice. You will either have to take this mark in order to survive this world or give it up knowing you're going to be martyred. It's going to be a dark day. That's why, really, when you preach a message like this, people that aren't saved ought to be rushing up on the aisle. You understand? They should just bowl me over and say, I want to be saved right now. I want you to pray. Because think about this. This is what, what confounds me. Here we are in these church services with this beautiful music, all right, and these fantastic sermons, and, 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 and now the call goes out, come out and give your heart to Jesus, and people stay locked in their seat. They're locked in their seat. You will never have a better time in order to give your heart to the God. You think it's going to be easier when the Antichrist comes, when the Christians are sucked out of this world? where there's nobody here to pray for you, you think it's going to be a lot easier when now you're going to have that mark on your hand? Is that what you're waiting for? Oh, please, please. I know at First Baptist Church in Fort Lauderdale, when the minister there preached this message, just like I'm preaching it now, when he got done, 50 people came up. 50 people came up. And that's what should happen when you hear this message. There's a certain message that ought to ignite you. So this is a serious, serious subject. And I want you to see, once we touched on this subject, uh, how Daniel felt after being taught it and seeing it. Verse 28, this is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale. 
but I kept the matter to myself. Oh, man. Wow. He's deeply dismayed. He's deeply affected uh, in the most profound way. Uh, And so that's why we study this. I want you to be prepared for what's happening and what's coming. I want you to be aware of it. Uh, And that's why we study the prophecies of Daniel. Jesus relied on them. Jesus cited them. They are authenticated. They are authoritative. And so we rely on it. So now let's begin with understanding the event, the rapture itself. If you look in your Bible and try to find the word rapture, you will never find it. Okay? The word rapture in and of itself does not exist in Scripture. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. Very clearly it's going to happen. But that terminology itself, that term is not evident in the Scripture. Now, however, if you turn to Webster's New World Dictionary, the unabridged version, and you look up the word rapture, here is what you're going to see defined. Quote, Christ's raising up of his true church and its members to a realm above the earth where the whole company will enjoy celestial bliss with the Lord. How about that? There's some born-again Christian writing that section of the Webster's New World Dictionary. They got it perfectly right. That's exactly what the rapture is about. It's the terminology of caught up, of caught up. Uh, and so uh, I'd like you to look, if you would, uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Actually, what I want you to do is I want you to start and look at verse 13 as Paul is explaining the whole process of the rapture. Um, and I want you to understand how Paul got this. Paul will call this, in other places in Scripture, a mystery revealed to him. And so the question is, how did Paul, how was Paul chosen to have this mystery revealed to him? Jesus alluded to it, uh, but Paul really identifies it and fleshes it out. Well, as you know, when Paul was saved in Damascus, right after he was saved in, in Damascus, because there was such an uprising over the fact that this former persecutor of the church, this rabbi, has now become a born-again Christian, he was taken out of Damascus secretly and brought into the Saudi Arabian desert. And he stays in the desert somewhere around 18 months, and he tells us in other writings that he was then uh, taught one-on-one through the Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ. Theology 101. I believe that that is where Paul learned of the mystery of the rapture. And so I want you to understand and read these verses and and get them. And as I said to you, uh, read them with a fair mind, knowing that there are denominations that do not accept it, but we believe it, we accept it. It is a bedrock principle for evangelical Christians, and I want you to be aware of it. So if you look at, at 1 Thessalonians, uh, and we, we look there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died 
and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Let's get that straight. The dead in Christ will rise first. Now, we know that when we die, we go to heaven to be with the Lord. Our spirits go to go with the Lord. Yet something different is happening here. As the Lord comes back to the earth, there is a trumpet call with a loud voice of the archangel. For the saints, you don't see a word here about evildoers or about sinners. This is totally about the saints with the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. It means this, that before any of us who are alive at that time, any of us are raptured out of this world, the dead in Christ, those in their graves, those who are in the sea. And I want to assure you of something because people have asked me this. Well, what if I get cremated? Am I not going to be raptured? Let me give you one of the first rules of science. Energy is neither created nor destroyed, but it just changes its form. You're, whether you are cremated or, or your, your corpse is buried in a casket, you will be raptured. God will take those molecules that are now dust and he will take that dust and put it together and form a glorified body. Or if you died at sea, okay, you died at sea, I want to assure you that God will go into the sea and take those molecules and restore those molecules. It doesn't matter where you are, God will find you. He will take your body. He will put those molecules together. So be at peace. If you want to, if you want to be cremated, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want you to think that there's a religious reason that you can't be cremated, because I've heard that too. It's not biblical, all right? It's not biblical. Um, and so God, I want you to understand this. So this is even before any one of us alive at that time will be taken out of the world, the graves will give up their bodies. And I want you to think about what that's going to be like. I mean, think about from the beginning of time, all of the people that are God's people that are buried around the world, suddenly all those graves will be opened up. Oh, Lord. Wow. Wow. And those bodies are going to be turned into glorified bodies, glorified bodies. All this is in the air, okay? Jesus is not going to put his foot down. He's not touching the earth this time. He will seven years later. And then those of us alive at the time, after the graves have given up, their bodies. We then will be taken out of the world. We will be taken out of the world, and we will, we will be given a glorified body. And so you see this. After that, we who are still alive, this is verse 17, and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you're intelligent people. You read the words. Pretty clear, isn't it? Something incredibly uh, fantastic is going to happen where you're seeing the, the graves give up their bodies, where we will be taken out of the world and, and caught up in the air. This is not the second coming because the second coming is about the evildoers. 
okay? And Jesus will come back as the Lion of Judah. So let's make sure our theology is correct. Let's do it right. Let's focus on, on what's correct. And let me explain to you something. This also involves an important theological principle, and that is the principle of imminent return. Imminent return. What does that mean? It means this, that from the very early beginnings of the early church, they constantly believed that the return of Jesus Christ was intimate, imminent. Paul thought that Jesus would return in his lifetime. And so we, we stand as Christians, we wait. We wait for, for Christ to come back. And that's important because God wants us to be in that, in that mindset. I want you to turn, if you would, also to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And now this is when Jesus will ascend. All right, there will be a large gathering here with Jesus. Uh, he's at the um, Mount of Olives. And at that point now, Jesus will, will ascend. And, and let's look at verse 7 as Jesus speaks to the group at his final time. Verse 7, Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, this is Jesus, it is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authorities. Let's, let's get that out of the way. Anybody that tells you that they've got a prophecy, and I've heard this, you know this, that, that the world is going to come to an end or the rapture is going to be this certain date. Here's the one thing you know, that once they say that date, mark it off your calendar. It'll never be that day. You understand? It'll never be that day, okay? So let's get that straight because Jesus preached this. No one knows, not even the Son knows. Only God the Father knows uh, uh, the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. After this, he said he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. I want you to get an image of what you're seeing here. Here he is in his bodily glorified form. He looks exactly like flesh. And suddenly, he is rising up from this world. He's rising up, and he's getting higher and higher. And now he's getting near the clouds, and they're just sitting there. Can you imagine they're just standing there with their mouths agape watching this until he goes behind the clouds. He goes behind the clouds. Uh, and, and, and then what happens next? Uh, verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky, as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Don't you love, don't you love this, this scripture when it speaks like this? Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You got that? Underline it, mark it down. That's the promise. He's coming back. He's coming back the same way he went up. He's coming back bodily, descending in the earth, and he will touch point on the earth on the Mount of Olives. Amen? And that's where the greatest battle of all time will take place, at the Battle of, of Armageddon. And so this is important that you study this. And so we study this. We study this because it begins in the prophecies of Daniel. God has given us an insight into what will take place in the last days. We need to be prepared, and we need to preach it to a world that's lost. 
We need to show people this is what God has planned. God is in control of the world. That's what the book of Daniel is all about. He is in control of all these kingdoms. This is what will happen. And if you are not a believer of God, you're going to be left behind. And being left behind is going to be the worst possible thing that you could ever possibly imagine. All right? And so now you need to understand, well, what about this man of lawlessness who takes the stage once, once the Holy Spirit pulls the church out, once God pulls the church out, I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And by the way, just to give you a historical point of view, Thessalonians is the oldest book in the New Testament. All right? So before any of these other uh, uh, passages were written, this was the first one that was written. That's how important this passage is. So look at 2 Thessalonians. It's one of those hard books to find. You notice that? Where is 2 Thessalonians? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Now I want you to understand this all relates to the rapture. I'm teaching it to you now so you can understand this. This is uh, why the rapture takes place, and this is what's occasioned after the rapture. Beginning with verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, and understand, underline that word, gathered to him. Gathering to him, effectively, is, is the language of saying sucked up to him, effectively raptured to him, gathered to him. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Now, how about that? Here it is, the very first century church. This, at this point when he's writing this, this is probably within seven or eight years of Jesus being crucified. And even at that early stage, the church was being besieged by false prophecy, by false teachers. And so some people were uh, pontificating that the day of the Lord had come, that Jesus had come back, and that they missed it. My, are you kidding me? And you're going to understand you need to differentiate the language. To differentiate the language, the day of the Lord is the second coming. The rapture is the first, okay? So when the day of the Lord is spoken of in Scripture, that refers to Jesus coming back with his saints to punish the evil doers. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs, I want you to underline that. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. What does that mean? It means that there will be no second coming until you see the Antichrist appear. And you'll see that. When you see the Antichrist appear, now you know that the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. That's what scripture tells you. But, but that, none of that will take place. None of that will take place until the rapture takes place. And continue on. And by the way, it says, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Right there. We win, they lose. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, 
proclaiming himself to be God. Now, let's understand this. Most theologians make this the midpoint of the tribulation period where the Antichrist now will finally reveal who he is. For three and a half years, he brings people along. He doesn't reveal who he is. He looks like a great political leader, a strong leader, a uniter, and and nations will willingly follow him. But finally, at the three and a half point uh, aspect, of this tribulation period, suddenly he will make a statue of himself, will bring it into the temple, the newly built, rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, and will insist that people worship him as God himself. Wow. All right. You get an idea of how evil this is uh, and what it's like. Proclaiming himself to be God, verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, underline this, what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time? For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. And let me tell you something. You could say that about today. You could say this about today, that lawlessness is at work now. Now, don't go around thinking, well, that's it. The Antichrist is just around the corner. We don't know when the Antichrist would appear. If anybody tells you, I've got a dream, he's coming, ignore that. That's not from God. That's poppycock, all right? Don't accept anything like that, that people start giving you dates like this. But you can take this to the bank, that there is lawlessness around, and lawlessness will precede the coming of the Antichrist. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Who do you think that is? The restrainer. It's the Holy Spirit through the churches, all right, through Jesus Christ's church. That is the restraining influence. And ladies and gentlemen, let me assure you that if you just imagine, you understand how we are in dark times. I want you to think that if we're in the kind of dark times now, what would it be if the church of Jesus Christ was sucked out of this world and, and the Holy Spirit went with that church? What would this world look like? I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to think about it. That's why we're going with them. You understand? He wouldn't do this to us. He wouldn't leave us here to suffer like this. Not our God. He wouldn't do this. Verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Oh, man, is that some powerful image? All right? He's not lifting a sword. He's not coming in on a rocket ship. He's not coming in with guns and tanks. He will destroy the Antichrist and all of his followers with the breath of his mouth. He will speak the word, and instantaneously, hundreds upon hundreds of millions of evildoers will be slain. Amen. Amen. Honestly. Honestly. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Let's make no mistake about this, ladies and gentlemen, all right, that there will be deceiving miracles, 
all right? There will be things that will take place, and gullible people just looking at the miracles will go, oh, yeah. Oh, it must be from God. And you remember the best example of that is Moses when he goes to Pharaoh, uh, and he throws his staff down, and his staff turns into a snake. Uh, and the magicians who are there in the court throw their staffs down, and guess what? They turn into snakes. Look, folks, that wasn't a parlor trick. They did turn into snakes. That's what evil does. That's what Satan does. You understand? That's the work of Satan. But what happened? Moses' snake, snake devours these other snakes. All right? That's what happens. You understand? And so that's how the work of God triumphs and, and over evil. And so you need to be prepared that that's what you're going to see, all these counterfeit Counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Here is the sad truth. During these periods of times, people will believe a lie. And here's what God tells you. If you forsake the truth, if you walk away from the truth, then you will believe a lie. It's not like you wind up being in the middle ground, you know? You just don't wind up being in the middle ground. You're either with him or against him. It's that simple. Very simple. Uh, and that's the message that we have to give to a world. You know, when you'll hear people say, well, I'm a thoughtful person. I'm a thinking person. I'm not an atheist. I just haven't made up my mind. Well, I would say, well, make it up pretty quick. <laughs> make it up pretty quick. Okay? Because when the switch is switched, it's too late. It's too late. When the curtain comes down, it's too late, all right? It's too late. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. That's a hard verse. Ooh, Jesus, that's a hard verse. I don't like to read that. What does it mean? It means this. There is a window of opportunity that God gives. There is a time. There is a day of the Lord, all right, in which you are preached to, in which the Holy Spirit touches your heart. And when the Holy Spirit touches your heart, you better stand up and be counted. You better come forward. Because what happens? If you walk away from the day of the Lord, when God reaches out and touches you, when your opportunity to be saved is there, if you walk away and you say no, then don't think don't think, oh, I'll have another chance. I'm not ready for it today. I'm not ready. I've got a lot of things to do. i got things to do with the house. i got company. i got to go home and cook. i got shopping. Let me tell you something, folks. I can't make it any clearer. Drop everything that you are doing. There is nothing more important that you are doing in the world than to understand the day of the Lord, to understand that Jesus Christ is coming, that he's on his way back. When will he be here? I can't tell you, but his return is imminent. It is imminent, and each and every one of us has to be prepared for that day. And I'm telling you, because he will come back first for his saints, you do not want to miss that train. When he comes back, you want to be on that train. You don't want to be left behind, because we're going to talk about that too, what happens when you're left behind. We'll continue this in January. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your words that you've inspired us through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you've given us the mystery, Lord, to understand where we're headed, 
where this evil is headed in this world. And Lord, I ask you that you give us the the authority to present the truth to a lost world. We have friends and family members who need to hear this. And so when we're seated at Christmas time, when the subject comes up, Lord, help us to preach John 14, 6. Help us to preach, Lord, the day of the Lord. Help us to preach about the day you will come back with your saints. Help us to preach to people who don't understand it what happens when you don't be prepared to go with you, Lord. Be with our people. Bless them in every way. Protect them in every way. Let this message resonate in their hearts. Be with them all at Christmas time. Give them the most blessed Christmas ever and protect them so that we can come back and study your word in January. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.